There aren't a lot of passages in Scripture where a pastor says goodbye to his congregation. But there is one in Acts 20 where the Apostle Paul is uh, giving a farewell to the Ephesian elders. And so I thought, well, there's a passage of Scripture we can look at today when it's time to say goodbye. Acts 20, beginning at verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly And from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Lost my place. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Excuse me. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are words that you have given to us today, given by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that the words of my mouth The meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we have to do all throughout life is to say goodbye. 
We say goodbye to our neighbors when they move. We say goodbye to our children when they leave home. We say goodbye to our loved ones when they die, and it's, it's never easy. Uh, saying goodbye is, is probably one of the hardest things to do. Have you ever thought about the different ways that people say goodbye? Some shake hands, right? That's the Scandinavian way, right? You don't want to be too emotional. You just put out your hand and you give them a good, a good handshake. Some actually hug when they say goodbye. Have you seen that? Arms around that person, give them a big hug. and um, They're the touchy-feely type, you know. Make Norwegians uncomfortable when someone comes and actually wants to hug you. Uh, some people cry when they say goodbye. I remember my mother-in-law, especially when we would leave after visiting there, often the tears would fall, and when the tears would fall in grandma's, from grandma's eyes, then the, her daughters and uh, grandkids would, would cry as well. Some people sneak out without saying goodbye. Uh-huh, have you had that happen to you? All of a sudden, where's Fred? Oh, he's gone. Oh, he just snuck out. I thought about doing that today, but... Uh, I don't think that's, that's going to work. And then there's the Minnesota goodbye. Are you familiar with the Minnesota goodbye? Some of you are not uh, natives of Minnesota, but it's a long process. It begins when someone says, yeah, no, I suppose we should go. Right? You heard that before? What is it? Yeah or no? Yeah, no, I suppose we should go. And then it doesn't end there. You've got to repeat that a few times. And you stand up, right, and you talk. Some more. And then you say, yeah, I guess it's really time to go now. And so you head toward the door. You get to the door and you, you talk a little bit more, right? Kids are getting antsy. And you get out in the car, you know, you stand by the car and then there's a little bit more conversation. Then you get in the car, you start the engine and you roll down the window. He's got to get it, you know, got to get one last. It's a, it's a long, long process. The, the Minnesota goodbye. I guess we aren't very good at saying goodbye, huh? Maybe that's part of the, the trouble. Well, our text in Acts 20 describes a farewell, a goodbye. And notice how the Apostle Paul describes uh, his goodbye to them. I would suggest there's four important things here worth noting. Notice, first of all, Paul said goodbye with a clear conscience. As he shares his final words with these Ephesian elders, he tells them why he could leave with a clear conscience. Because he had lived among them in a way that was above reproach. And it's interesting that his life was so well known to them that he uses the phrase, you yourselves know, twice, as he describes his time among them. Verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. There was a clear consistency in his life, wasn't there? The whole time, from the first day. And he was there for three years. All those days that he was with them. He says, You know how... I live my life. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you 
that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So as he looked back on his life, then Paul says, I I did my best to, to be an example of what it means to serve the Lord, and I can leave now with a good conscience. I can leave with a good conscience. And he goes on to say, that he had faithfully proclaimed the truth of God's word. I find it interesting that twice he uses this phrase. He says, I did not shrink. I did not shrink from telling you what you needed to hear. Look at verse 20. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Then we see it again, verse 25. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify you to, to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So when Paul spoke publicly, in the synagogue or in the marketplace or when he spoke privately as he visited in homes, no one in Ephesus could say that he hadn't told them the truth. He had proclaimed the whole counsel of God and he said, therefore, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, that's an Old Testament phrase that we find in the book of Ezekiel. Where God said to the prophet Ezekiel, I have appointed you as a watchman to the house of Israel. And whenever you hear a word from my mouth, the Lord says, you warn them. You warn them. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or do not speak out to warn the wicked of his ways, that wicked man shall die, but his blood I will require from your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Do you see what Paul is referring to? He's describing God giving him the word to share, and he proclaimed it. He warned people that there was a day of judgment coming and that they needed Jesus. And so no one could point a finger at Paul and say, you did not warn me. You did not tell me. You did not proclaim to me my need for a Savior. That passage in Ezekiel chapter 3 was the passage that was preached upon when my father was ordained in 1955. And I'll tell you what, that made a huge impact on my father's life. Because he knew that one day he would stand before God And he would give an accounting to God for his ministry. And I can remember him saying on many occasions, after he finished his sermon, he would stand out in front of the congregation and he would plead with people to come to Jesus. And he said, I do not want to stand before God one day and have someone say, Pastor, you did not tell me. You did not warn me. You did not proclaim to me my need for Jesus. I think of that often. Ever since I began my ministry, I do not want to be guilty of men's going lost. 
And I remind you of that today. I remind you of your need for Jesus. We need a Savior. We need a living relationship with Jesus. And all these years, I've tried to proclaim that. So that you would not ever be able to say, you never told me. You never warned me. So Paul said goodbye with a, a, a clear conscience. Notice also he said goodbye with a clear commitment. Just because he was leaving Ephesus, he was not done with his ministry. Now I've used the word and some have used the word retiring. Okay? And I don't know if I like that word because I'm not planning on you know, sitting in a chair drinking coffee and watching TV all day. Okay? That'd be depressing. I want to be involved in some ministry. So I'm not, you know, quitting, serving the Lord. It's just maybe in a little different way, in a different place. And Paul is saying this then, as he left the Ephesians, it wasn't as if he was leaving ministry. There was more work for him in other places. And notice how he was committed to that work. Look at verse 22. He says, Now behold, Bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I would say, I'm on my way to Baxter. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. But he goes on to say, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So God had made it clear to Paul, you know what? You might be leaving this place, and you might be getting away from this riot that occurred in Ephesus. I just want you to know... Everywhere you go, there will be challenges. Okay? Everywhere you go. And then he says in verse 24, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. And notice this phrase, So that I may finish my course. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is very clear about his goal in ministry. His goal was to finish, right? To finish the race. It is one thing to start well. And the Apostle Paul started well. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he immediately started witnessing and telling others about the Lord. It's one thing to start well. It's another thing to finish well. And Paul says, that is my goal, that is my desire, that I might run until the end and finish well. And that's exactly what he did. Second Timothy 4 verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So some years later, looking back on his life, he could say that by the grace of God, he had finished He ran until the Lord called him home. I've spoken much about my dad because he had such an impact on my life. And the thing that I think I admire the most is how how well he finished. He went to seminary, mind you, back in the 50s with some men who, who washed out spiritually. Men who abandoned the, the inspiration of God's word and began drifting into other things that were not of God. And his desire, my dad's desire and goal was that he would never, ever stray from 
preaching the truth of God's Word, that he would be faithful until the end. And he was. He was. The last verses I read to him were these verses. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. And I don't know if he heard me. Okay, I've been told as a pastor, you know, when someone is, is in kind of a comatose state, the hearing is what often goes last. So, keep talking to them. And I did. And those were the last verses I read to him. That he had kept the faith. He had finished the race. And it goes on to say that there was a crown of righteousness awaiting him that day. So how do we finish the race, huh? Do we finish the race by looking deep down inside of us, huh? Maybe your coach might tell you that. You've got to look deep down in your gut. and you know, you, oh, no, I don't think so. Do we finish with a, with a stubborn determination that we have what it takes? <laughs> if that's your attitude, look out. Because we don't have what it takes. And that's why Paul reminds us here that his power came from the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, Paul says that he faces the future bound by the Spirit. Other translations say compelled by the Spirit or constrained by the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit was giving him the strength to keep running, running the race that he was committed to finish. The book of Hebrews describes the Christian life as running a race. The author says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's the key, isn't it? It's not like we have what it takes. We don't. We are weak. We are sinful. We still have a sinful nature. Our power, our strength must come from the Lord. He will enable us to run that race. So Paul said goodbye with a clear commitment, relying fully on God's power. Notice thirdly, Paul said goodbye with a clear caution. Clear caution. Paul had been in ministry long enough to know that whatever God builds up, Satan will try to tear it down. His goal is to destroy the church. That's his goal. He wants to tear churches apart. He wants to divide congregations. He wants to destroy that which God had established. And so Paul warns them in verse 28. He said, be on guard. Be on guard for yourselves, O elders, and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Then he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, he says, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now, I've been associated with this church for 25 years of my life. 
three while I was going to seminary, and then the 22 years that we've been here. 25 years. That's a lot of years. And I've seen some wonderful things that God has done in the ministry of Grace Free Lutheran Church over those years. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy that. He wants to destroy that. And Paul says, some of these attacks will come from the outside. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves, what a picture. Ever met a savage wolf? I'm glad I haven't. But I have a friend whose son was bow hunting for deer, happened to be sitting in a stand, and there were five timber wolves that surrounded his tree. What are you going to do when you got a bow? Huh? You going to shoot that fast? Well, good thing he had a cell phone, called his dad and said, Dad, I think I'm in trouble. And so his dad came with his uncle and their rifles. And by the time that he got there, they were gone. But he said, I'll tell you what, my heart was beating pretty fast. I was, <laughs> you see those, those savage wolves. And then Paul says that some of these attacks can come from the inside. Right from within the congregation, from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. We expect the devil's attacks from the outside, don't we? Or at least we ought to. We don't usually expect it from, from the inside. That's why those attacks can be so dangerous. It's, it's like getting blindsided. Where did that come from? Ever been blindsided? Attacks from within. This is why Paul challenges the leaders of the congregation to be alert. He says, oh, elders, be on guard for yourselves. Watch your own life. And then for the flock. This flock, you need to shepherd the church of God because he purchased it with his blood. Jesus gave his life blood to establish the church and those in positions of spiritual leadership must protect it. Be alert. So if you're a leader in Grace Free Lutheran Church, you've got an important responsibility. You are to protect that church. It's precious to Jesus. He purchased it with his own blood. Said goodbye with a clear caution. And then finally, Paul said goodbye with a clear confidence. A clear confidence. He was leaving this group of people, and, and it must have been an emotional time because he said, Some of you will never see my face again. And that has struck me because when you move away, that, that's probably true with. A significant number of people. You may never see them ever again. I hope that's not the case with, with you who are here today. Paul wanted them to be sure that they understood that God was not leaving them. God would be faithful to them in the future, just as he had been in the past. And that's why Paul confidently committed them to the Lord. Verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up 
and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I can leave here with confidence. I do leave here with confidence. Confidence in the Lord. Confidence in His Word. Confidence in His love for this congregation. Confidence in the fact that what God starts, He finishes. From Philippians chapter 1, what does Paul say? For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God finishes what He starts. And if He's begun a good work in you, He's going to see that that work is completed. That word, that word of God will, will, will build you up, encourage you, strengthen you, guide you. And that's my prayer for you. The song that we're going to sing is uh, one of my prayers for you. It's, it's based on the blessing we find in Numbers chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall invoke My name on the sons of Israel and then I will bless them. Father, thank You for the blessing that You give to us. Thank You that You love us. Thank You that You sent Your Son to be our Savior. Thank You for the confidence we can have in your word, your work. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless in a very special way this congregation and all who attend here. And may you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. For it is in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.